thoughts. I always, I always enjoy sitting at the table with the Jesus freaks. Uh, it's good to be with you, my fellow freaks. Freak. Jesus freaks, you're a freak. <laughs> I think what we're going to talk about this morning is going to be challenging to live out, challenging to put into practice in a very fundamental way. Uh, I want to start just by sharing about a trip that I took earlier this week. It's the second meeting of a group called the Restoration Collective, and it consists of a small group of uh, church leaders, men and women, from various places uh, around the country, more from Texas than not, but that's as it, it's just as it is uh, in many cases in Churches of Christ. Uh, but from different places uh, like the Northeast, California, Colorado. Um, and that's relevant because what the Restoration Collective is focused on is, well, the way that I've been saying it, which isn't very clear, is we get together and we've been talking about the future of Churches of Christ. Um, you know, hence the name, Restoration, coming from our heritage is the Restoration Movement. But I recognize that saying, when we get together to talk about the Churches of Christ, sounds a little arrogant, as though this small group of church leaders would get together and decide what the church, what the future of the Church of Christ is. No, but, but actually it's, it's coming from a very different place. It's coming from um, feelings of isolation, loneliness, disconnection, confusion and disorientation, uncertainty. Uh, because of reasons that I don't need to go into at, at, at the moment, there's a lot of sort of negative pressure on uh, particularly church leaders who are women, church leaders who are looking toward a future that isn't quite traditional for their congregations, that isn't quite conventional. That, and so, so our, our work together has been focused on what we call the work of imagination. Imagining a future. Imagining a hopeful future. We have disavowed uh, spending time on critique and criticism um, on, on, on the negative. Instead, we've dedicated ourselves to questions like, how can we be faithful to what God is doing together? How can we discern what the future might be, the, God's preferred future? And I tell you that story Because it didn't occur to me while I was in the process that what we're engaged in is precisely uh, 
what we're going to talk about this morning. And it's addressing the problem that arises when we fail to practice discernment as a body. Because none of us in our collective church environments, right, and by and large, these are church leaders who are not absolutely isolated in that there are no other churches of Christ around them. They're isolated in that there are no other churches of Christ leaders who would talk to them, you see much less understand the struggles that their congregations are attempting to address. And so if they try to answer, if each of us tries to answer the question of a hopeful future by ourselves, despair (laughs) compounded by loneliness overwhelms us. But when we come together, something awesome happens. We hear from others who are dreaming dreams, who love their their churches and their cities, who love the people that they serve, and who desperately long to be in the fight together with others facing similar challenges, and dreaming similar dreams. So, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty strongly about discernment right now. Strongly hopeful. Hopeful that here, too, we could practice discernment together more. I've loved hearing Meg's story and, and Kate's story, and I look forward to hearing Jerry's story next week, and, and I personally hope that we will come back to this practice after Advent and continue, because I, there are many more of you whose stories I want to hear. I love that, but I especially love that together we listen and we talk and we, we squint our eyes to perceive the deep truths of those stories and to share those with one another and to enrich ourselves through those perceptions. I love that. But that's only one practice of discernment. And there are so many ways to come at this It's important that we do because, Kyle, it disconnected me. I did. (laughs) All right, I'm going to pause. All right, everyone together, 900, 921 is our code. (laughs) 
Nope. Looks like we're going uh, from the booth this morning. Next slide. Yep, there it went. Got it. Oop. Good job, boys. Good job. We discerned an answer to that problem. That's good. It's important that we do so, that we practice many different sorts of discernment because this question is before us in so many ways. What is God's will for me? What is God's will for my family? What is God's will for this church? What is God's will for my neighbors, my co-workers? And we're not asking about the general question. We know God's will in general. And the fact that we know God's will in general, in fact, often causes us to be a little bit lackadaisical about discerning God's will in particular. Yes, God wants you to know Him and to worship Him and to love your neighbor. God wants you to do the things that Jesus taught. God wants you to obey the law. The law of love. God, we, we know things that God wants. But then, we also very often don't know exactly what God wants. And we're faced with challenging decisions, challenging situations. Our wisdom is stretched thin. And we have to ask ourselves, what is God's will? That's what discernment is about. If you believe God's will matters, you should probably care about discernment. So we're going to be in Acts I'm just going to look at three pieces in Acts. The first one very briefly, because I think it just sets the stage for understanding. And then we'll look at chapters 13 and 15 in particular. So in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, you know what? Let's do this first. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Because I, I, want, I want you to re hear the Acts passage with this in mind. And we studied this not too long ago, last year. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy to another discernment of spirits to another various kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues part of what the spirit gifts us to do is discern the spirits part of what the spirit gives us to do is to prophesy but then it's necessary to this to discern the spirits and 1 John, the letter of 1 John tells us that, that that's necessary and is connected to prophecy, 
specifically because there are many false prophets who have gone out into the world. Discernment of spirits specifically means when we hear from one another and we think we might be hearing a word from God through one another, we have to discern which spirit is speaking. Because it's not always the Holy Spirit. And that's important. Well, that's an understatement. That's fundamental because of what happens in Acts chapter 2. This is in the sermon that Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And when he gets to verse 17, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, he quotes from the prophet Joel. And he says, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Listen to this now. Just imagine this. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter's point is that this is happening now. The Spirit has been poured out. The last days have begun. So what would it look like to be a member of a community in which the sons and the daughters prophesy, in which the young people see visions, and the old people dream dreams. In which everyone of every station, high and low, were to prophesy. What would that look like? If you're like me, you grew up with a fairly limited imagination as to what prophecy means. If you're like John McPeters or Larissa, you did not grow up with a fairly limited imagination as to what prophecy means right? Or maybe you did. I mean, you know, there, there may be some limitations there too, but um, we're not talking about making predictions of things, though that could be the case. We're talking about the Spirit of God speaking through the people of God. We're talking about the Spirit of God that we accept, at least cognitively, is in us that we received in baptism according to the promise, the gift of the Spirit. That Spirit not being mute. Not being dead. But living, speaking, moving, 
nudging, urging, calling, that that Spirit is active in us. That's what we're talking about when we talk about prophecy in the New Testament. I think, I think that's my, that's my understanding. I'll say that, I'll say it that way. That's my understanding. And that comes to expression in many ways. If you're a part of a community where that characterizes your life together, the Spirit of God is at work so that young and old across all sorts of demographic divides, a word from the Lord can come to the church. If you're a part of that kind of community, then you'd better start practicing discernment. Now, if you're, if you're just going to shut that down, which Paul calls quenching the Spirit, if you're going to ignore that, you don't really need discernment quite as much. No problem. But if you're going to be open and listen if you're going to ask the question on a consistent basis, where is the Holy Spirit leading this community? Where is God at work? Lord, show us what you want us to do. If you're going to ask those questions, you need discernment. Because even the answers that come might come from one spirit or another. Sometimes it's pretty hard to tell. So let's look at two examples of this in the book of Acts. They're different. And this first one, this first one fascinates me because as far as I can tell, it's not normally taken to be about discernment. And I am deeply convinced that it is. So I want to I open this up for you and suggest that Acts 13, 1 through 3, just three verses, is about discernment. That it's a condensed narrative of the church's discernment process. And the reason I think that first is that I have in mind the timeline of Paul's life leading up to this moment, as far as we have it in Acts. So, the reason that the, some of these dates have slashes is because these are estimated dates. We have limited data, and we sort of make extrapolations and try to disambiguate some things uh, by, by putting them on a timeline, but it's just not totally clear. This is roughly right. So that what you can see is that from the latest date, 34, AD 34, at which Paul might have been converted on the Damascus Road, and the earliest date at which the missionary, first missionary journey might have begun, there is still over a decade of time. Right? Over a decade of time. So remember... When Paul had his Damascus Road experience, 
God spoke to a prophet named Ananias. And he sent him to find Paul and tell him what was going to become of him. And this is what he said back in 33-34. Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So this early, Saul, at this point, no name change yet, it's the Gentiles that call him Paul, because Saul's a Jewish name. Saul is commissioned by God through a prophet known to the church and told, you will be an apostle to the Gentiles and the Jews. And you'll go before kings. And at least 12 years later, we find ourselves in Acts 13.1 where Paul has gone and retrieved Saul from obscurity. For 12 years at least, he has not gone to the Gentiles. He's not been sent. And now, after a year of teaching and participating in the life of the family that met together in Antioch, there's this this moment. And it says, if I get there to 13... Now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a member of the house, uh, the court of Herod, the ruler, and Saul. Now if you look at what's before that and look at what's after that, you might come to the conclusion that that's just a trivial piece of information. Just trivia. Just by the way, there were some people there. This is who they were. But in fact, it's integral to understanding what's going on here. He tells us there are prophets and teachers. In order to understand what happens next, you have to know that there were members of this body recognized as possessing the gift of prophecy and of teaching. And then they're doing something very specific. Something that I hope resonates with some of you this month. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So again, you might think while they were worshiping and fasting, it's sort of like a throwaway comment. In other words, while the church was doing what the church does, they were going about their usual business. The Spirit said, do this. I don't think that's right. I don't think that 
the church typically is fasting together in the New Testament. I think that it was a common practice. But it's also a practice directed towards something. They don't do it just because. And I think the story that precedes and what that timeline represents is that they are struggling as a community with a question that Saul doesn't know how to answer. God told me I'm to go to the Gentiles. But when? And how? What am I supposed to do exactly? Even with a clear word from a prophet, even with a confirmation of vocation, calling, we still struggle with the fact that like, okay, and now what do I do? What am I supposed to do with this? Over a decade passes before Saul has an answer to this question and it does not come to him personally. It comes when the church is worshiping and fasting. This is discernment. This is preparing ourselves, putting ourselves into the presence of God, emptying ourselves, readying ourselves to hear something. And then the Holy Spirit speaks. Now, some of you may have heard a word from the Lord. Asking. Sorry. <laughs> Kate, Kate gave us a great example of that. Some of you may have heard directly from the Lord or know people who have heard directly from the Lord. I've never met anyone who claims to have heard audibly as an assembly from the Lord. So what I don't think this passage is saying is that they're there, they're worshiping, they're fasting, and then a thunderous voice from heaven breaks in and tells them what to do. I think it matters that there are some people there who are prophets. Where the Spirit is at work in them as they're teaching the church and as they're speaking the Word of God, the Spirit speaks another word. And so now, now they go, that's it, all right, off you go. No. No. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Of course, my whole life, I read that verse as saying, oh, well, they were praying for success. They were praying, you know, they were fasting and praying for the success of the venture, right? As we always do, whenever we're going to go do something, we pray that it'll go well. I think actually what they're doing is discerning. I think they receive a word from the Spirit through a prophet in the body and I think the reaction is, well, we've got to fast and pray about this to know if this is from the Lord. That's what we do. Discern the spirits. We don't just, we don't just 
take it into our own hands. Not when Paul is told by a prophet, you're, you're going to be sent to the Gentile. He doesn't just go, all right, now I know what I am, what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to build a budget. I've got a timeline. Here we go. Let's do it. He doesn't do that. And even when the church hears again from the Spirit, specifically set these two men apart, it's go time. The reaction is, we've got to fast and pray. Right? We, need to, we need to confirm this in the Spirit. So, so I take that as, as a discernment process sort of condensed down into a very a brief narrative. And I just would point out before we move on that verse 4 says, So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit... They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. The prior verse says they laid their hands on them, and they sent them. And then the next verse says they were sent by the Holy Spirit. You see the synergy there? The collaboration between the church's sending and the Spirit's sending. And the reason that that synergy is there, the reason that harmony is there, is because of this practice of discernment, of coming to an accord with the Spirit. And we're going to see that again in chapter 15. So let's... Let me just, let me just do one little bit of, of summary here. I think, I think chapter 13 is in many ways about practical discernment. It's about answering a question, what should we do? What should we do? Um, what we're going to look at in chapter 15 is a little different than that. So hold this one in your mind. Remember that part of discernment is sometimes answering this question, Lord, what should we do? What should, what should Saul do? Help us answer his question. All right, so 15. This one is a little lengthier, but, um, but I think we're going to be able to make our way through it fairly, fairly quickly. So... Saul becomes Paul. Paul and Barnabas go out on their first sort of circuit, traveling, preaching, trying to establish churches. And it says in 15.1, Then certain individuals came down from Judea. So they came up from the south, but down from the highlands. You always come down from Judea because it's, it's up on the plateau come down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, that's a, that's a Lucan phrase, no small, he likes to say that sometimes, instead of they had a, a lot of dissension. He's, he goes, no small, no small dissension. No small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss the question 
with the apostles and the elders. So, they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. Some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen. From its ruins I will rebuild it, and I will set it up, so that all other peoples may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles, over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things making these things known from long ago. Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who were turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city, for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him For he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then the apostles and the elders, with the consent of the whole church, decided to choose men from among their members and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leaders among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the believers of Gentile origin in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. 
Since we have heard that certain persons who have gone out from us, though with no instructions from us, have said things to disturb you and have unsettled your minds, we have decided unanimously to choose representatives and send them to you along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have, therefore, sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do do well. Farewell. So they were sent off and went down to Antioch when they gathered the congregation together they delivered the letter. All right. Long reading, but fascinating. And more than that, more than that, really, really important for us. Because this is the New Testament example of a discernment process regarding a theological issue. A dispute about ideas. It's the only model that's given to us. Now, I escaped some time ago from thinking that if you're given a model in the New Testament, it is the only model and the one you must follow, right? So that's not what I'm recommending. All I'm saying is this is really important for helping us think through a process of theological discernment. And it goes like this. There is dissension and debate. There is no indication that that is bad. In fact, they're going to do more of it on purpose. There's dissension and debate. The ideas of those who are called Judaizers, who are wanting the Gentiles to keep the Jewish law, are said to disturb the Gentiles. That's bad. But the fact that there's debate, not bad. There's a disagreement, a, a, dis, a, a misunderstanding about what God wills for the Gentiles. What is God's will? And so the church appoints representatives. Right? Paul and Barnabas go as representatives of the whole Antioch church to say what gives. Right? To tell the story of what's happened and why they think the way they think. And along the way, they continue telling everybody else about why it is that they're right, right? Look, God's at work in the gym. We've already seen it. We've already seen the Holy Spirit working. They're telling everybody along the way. Um, you might think of this as a somewhat political move. I don't know. Um, I think that they're just sharing what they believe. When they get to 
Jerusalem a key, a key practice sustains the possibility of discernment. And that is that the whole group of Jewish leaders welcomes them. They practice hospitality. Right? And it's definitely the case that some of these Jewish leaders are in strong disagreement. Right? They've, they, they disagree so much that they have literally traveled to other places to correct people. So this is, that's, they're not just like, and they're not postmodernists, okay? They're not like, you think what you want and we'll think what we want. No, they're very concerned, right? So it, it's important that in the midst of, of a very tense, high stakes, as in who is saved conversation, they welcome Paul and Barnabas. They make space for them. They practice hospitality. And they're not shy about making their position known, right? They reiterate some of the some of those of the uh, some of the church leaders who were formerly Pharisees sort of make their case again. They go, "Hey, like they have to follow the law of Moses because, duh, it's the law of Moses, right?" And so the leaders then meet together. And uh, note that at this point, at this early point, it's already um, apostles and elders. There's this, this new group that has emerged in Acts 15 of elders. So somebody in Jerusalem who's not an apostle but is a senior church leader. So it's not just the apostles getting together to make a decision about what God says. It's church leaders gathering together. And after much debate, it says, right? Much debate. We get focused testimony about God's work. And that comes from Peter and from Paul and Barnabas. And both of them say, Look at the Spirit of God. Look what God has done in the Gentiles. We've seen it. You're hearing it from multiple people. Clearly, they don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved because having the Spirit, that's the definition of being saved. For these, for these guys, that's what it is. And so they say, look, we, we, have to, we have to pay attention to what God has done in order to answer this question. We have to pay attention to the Spirit's work. And again, very importantly, all those who are gathered keep silent and listen. Now you might have thought there, it would be a little raucous, Right? Some people pretty upset, and then somebody shouts an objection, and then the whole crowd goes. Rah, 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 rah. No, it says they they kept they kept their peace and listened. It's a vital aspect of the discernment process. When you disagree with someone profoundly, shut up and listen. Right? I mean that's that's what they do. 
And then there's leadership and conclusion drawing. And I'm, I'm not sure exactly what to do with this, but it is the case that the story as we have it, and keep in mind, this is, this is a condensed narrative. This is not, a, this is not a, a video recording of everything that happened, right? This is Luke writing with limited ink and parchment to say what happened basically in this, in this story. And so there might have been more debate and there might have been multiple people involved, but the way that Luke represents the story and therefore the way we have it as Scripture is that James plays the role of drawing a conclusion. He stands up, takes the mic, and says, okay, here's what we're going to do, right? And he does that through very innovative interpretation of Scripture. Were any of you puzzled by the list of four things that, you're, that, that were forbidden we go, okay, fornication we get because we're all Protestants and we're extremely worried about those sorts of things, right? That's culturally who we are. Got it. Um, then you got meat sacrifice to idols. Well, idolatry, that's as bad as it gets. I mean, it, it, it almost destroys God's people utterly and throughout the Old Testament. So, okay, I, stay away from idolatry. Then you got, what, meat that's been strangled and then meat with the blood still in it or just blood right? Kind of a weird list, right? It's like, and, and they literally call this these essentials. We, we, we write to recommend to you nothing but these essentials. So why are these the essentials? And the reason is that James learned to interpret the Bible from Jesus. This is subversive, innovative biblical interpretation. He's reading Leviticus 17 and 18, which lists the rules for Gentiles living in the land among the people of Israel. And he takes from those rules creatively guidelines for Gentiles becoming members of the house of Israel. And he says, basically, I mean, do you remember when Jesus does this? When they come at him about the Sabbath? And he goes, what, have you never read the story of when David went to the high priest, Abiathar, and ate the bread, the, the, the bread of presence in the temple? Right? Do you, you remember that story? James, I just, I get the sense that James is doing something very similar, right? It's like, what, have you never read Leviticus 17 and 18, where we already have guidance for Gentiles not being circumcised and living according to the law in the land, right? Now, is that a stretch to Gentile believers in Jesus receiving the Holy Spirit and therefore salvation? Is that a stretch? You betcha. And so was the way that Jesus read the story of David. As far as Sabbath practice is concerned, big stretch, right? But James learned how to read the Bible from Jesus. He learned how to perceive there the possibilities that Scripture already holds forth for understanding what? God's will. For understanding God's will. And so 
he practices this creative theological leadership and drawing together the threads of the conversation in a way that is, it's not a compromise because the Judaizers don't get what they want. But it's kind of a hat tip to them in that it's important that we justify our understanding on the basis of the law, the Leviticus, no less. Right? The very, the very thing that would sanctify God's holy people, the, the Levitical laws. And so there is a, there's a concession here that we, we need to do this in a way that everyone can understand to be biblical, even if they don't fully agree with all the conclusions. And so... There is consent in conclusion drawing. And that's a little bit hidden because it says that all the church agreed about who to send. So you might think, well, that just everybody agreed. And by the way, there's no evidence that this was a closed meeting. It may very well have been, while the leaders are meeting together to discuss, it very well may have been an open meeting in the same style that the Pharisees practiced where you could sort of come in and just be a witness to the meal and the, and the conversation and the biblical interpretation that's going on. So, but, but regardless, when it finally comes time to sit, write the letter and send the, send the delegates, the messengers, to all of the churches, the, the statement is the whole church agreed about who to send. And therefore implicitly about sending them, implicitly about, okay, we're going to disseminate this conclusion. We're going to let this be known as best practice for the church. And so, ultimately, and I have no doubt that there were still some who disagreed, and we know that because we see relapse later. This is not a a finished question as though, oh, we talked about it and now we don't have to think about it anymore. But at the very least, the church agrees together to move forward with this next step. Here's the next step. We send this letter and we make this recommendation to the Gentile churches. Right? And so you have clear communication of what they call essentials. So, theological discernment, what should we think? Practical discernment, what should we do? Rooted in the question, what is God's will? How are we to understand correctly? How are we to act correctly? What should we do together? And I think Acts invites us to a robust practice of thinking about these things together. And I'll tell you this, you cannot find in the New Testament a single example of an individual discerning privately. And I don't say that to mean that you can't do that. I think obviously you can. I say that to reinforce this idea. The thing that makes this so hard for us 
But it's not hard to understand that we should worship, pray, and fast. It's not hard to understand that we should talk together about the things we disagree about and do that in a hospitable way and listen carefully to one another and pay attention to the Spirit of God working in our midst and think creatively about how the Bible should inform our conclusions and speak clearly about our conclusions. All of that we can understand. But the thing is, we are so prone to just deciding for myself what I think about something, deciding for myself what I'm going to do, or deciding with just my wife what the right way forward is. We're so conditioned not to practice discernment together. Maybe we ask somebody's advice, or maybe we read a book to try to understand something. And all of that is good. I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm saying let's do this. Let's be committed to living in the world in such a way that we are always together concerned about what we should think and what we should do because we want to do the will of God. And we don't have the ability individually, privately, to decide what that is. We need each other's gifts. We need each other's wisdom. We need our shepherds to help lead the process of discernment. We need the body to act hospitably, to listen. We need you to debate and dissent when you don't understand or you understand differently. Because you may be the one that the Spirit is speaking through. Keep in mind, we're on the side of history where we think the whole time we're reading, Paul and Barnabas are right. But the fact of the matter is, they are the disruptors. They are the ones that are saying something completely unconventional, out of the ordinary, outside of our frame of reference, our normal way of reading the Bible and understanding what God wants. They're the ones breaking the frame. They're troublemakers. They're divisive. And the people who come up and try to say, the Gentiles need to be circumcised, all they're trying to do is maintain the status quo. They're trying to say, we've all, this is what we've always done. For 1,500 years, this is what we've done. There's no question. It's right there in the text. And you guys are out. I mean, you're acting like this is the Wild West. Paul and Barnabas, what are you doing? So the truth of this story is we need Paul and Barnabas to come back. We need Peter to come back into our midst and say, I think there's a new thing. I think we need to think differently about this. I think we need to practice this differently. We need that in order to attend to the Spirit of God. And we need the prophetic gifting to help us hear from God. And we need to discern together if what we're hearing is from God. We need to take this seriously. Because if we do, we plug right into the current that runs through the world. We plug right into the truth of what is unfolding around us. There's such power and such hope in that that a little church like Antioch 
make no mistake, this is a little church. I doubt there are as many of them as there are of us. Could crack open the entire Gentile world because they listened, they discerned, they obeyed. And they changed everything. Let's plug into that church. Let's discern together. Let's commit to one another. Let's pray. Oh God, we long to hear from you. And if you have a word for us this morning, I pray you speak it through your servants, whoever is sitting here, young or old. And whatever work and whatever station of life, whatever moment, speak through them, give them a word and give us the courage to discern together. God, I pray that You put a longing in us to know Your will more deeply. To know Your will for individual people in this church who don't know exactly how to practice their calling, who don't know how to exercise their gifts, who don't know what the next step is who aren't sure exactly what to do about their family life or about their job situation, about their finances, about their dreams, about their hopes for the future. They don't know exactly what to do. And God, I pray that you make us into the kind of body that prayerfully, hungrily answers those questions by listening to you together. God, please shape us into a people who will speak courageously to one another in the pursuit of truth, who will listen even more courageously to one another and open ourselves to the possibility that you're doing a new thing. God, open us up. Take away the hardness of heart that makes it so hard for us to hear, to see. Give us a new word. Lead us. Lead us, Father. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen.